Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3 here this morning. For several days, as I've known about preaching today, God was asking the Lord to give me what He wanted me to preach, and I've never uh, studied this section of Scripture a whole lot, other than knowing the stories growing up and reading it as part of yearly Bible reading. And as I was asking the Lord for what to, to give you this morning, He very clearly uh, put this passage of scripture on, on my heart. And for, so for days I've been meditating on it. And last night, I just being transparent with you this morning, last night I was really going through a wrestling match and with the Lord, not about should I preach it or not, but just was, it's one of those times where it was just, a, I think it was a spiritual battle. And I just said, Lord, I'm going to go to bed. I've been meditating on it, studying it, but I'm going to go to bed and trust you to get me up earlier than normal and really help me to be able to know what you have me to do. And uh, I've never except for maybe one or two other times in my life, had this happen, where this morning I heard this boom, and uh, it sounded like something hit the roof, which there's no way. Um, oh, there is a way, I guess. But um, I just, you know, it was one of those moments where I almost thought, man, what the hell, that, that was the finger of God just waking me up. And um, it was well before my alarm was supposed to go off, and I'll tell you what, it's amazing what God does. So he has a reason for this this morning, because he did that in my heart and opened my heart and eyes even this morning and gave even more clarity those of you who open the word and give it will know what I'm talking about. Sometimes that wrestling through uh, as, as you know God's leading on something, but trying to really make sure you're um, knowing what his will is through the passage, obviously, and what it says and also be able to articulate it. So I'm actually excited about this morning because I know God has a, a will for what he's doing. Now, have you ever personally experienced um, the anger of somebody towards you? Um, I have made people angry with me before, uh, especially through my teasing. Now, some of you don't know that I tease, but I, I do have a teasing side. Uh, the one who got the brunt of it would be Mr. Van, um, like way more than anybody else. Poor guy. Uh, he and I, have, I think I've pretty much cleared all that with him. Uh, but uh, it was my junior high years were the worst, but I still have it in me. My kids still experience it a little bit, which I you know, constantly having to work on that. But I remember uh, one time, my brother Wayne and I uh, were here on the church property. My dad was doing some, I think it was, uh, yeah, he was doing some marriage counseling for, this was back in the 80s, okay? So he was in the building. Uh, this is before we even, I think, I'm not even sure we had the um, current auditorium building at all. Uh, it was just this music hall and then the nursery wing, that's it, pretty sure. But... Our property used to, right here by church, have a, a fence. So basically, as the sidewalk goes down to the White House, there was a fence there. We didn't own any of those homes as, as a church. And so um, that was, our neighbors were over there. And uh, so it was a, there was a lot of growth, a lot of trees. It was kind of ugly. I love the way it looks now. It's so open and pretty. But back then, it was not very nice. And basically, what you see behind the Swanson's house on down, a lot of that kind of growth was all the way across. And um, not maybe as tall trees, but... So it was pretty thick, a lot of fence. And so I remember uh, our neighbors were quite antagonistic to our church. They didn't like the growth. This was a nice big open farm field area. And all of a sudden this church comes in and it starts growing and it's bustling and there's activity. And, and of course there was just the, um, the spiritual battle and the hatred toward the Lord. A lot of religious or Catholic type people and didn't want a Baptist church sitting there. And uh, well, my brother Wayne, and I'll put the blame on him for this one, Got the idea uh, that we should be throwing projectiles across or over, over the fence um, in, into the neighbor's yards. And um, so we weren't like throwing it at their homes or anything, but we were standing there tossing, um, 
I don't know, rocks or whatever we could find, I guess, over the fence. And <clears throat> I'll never forget, I heard a voice yell, and I heard somebody get really angry. And all of a sudden, uh, a fellow named Clarence, who lived where the Williams do now, uh, comes running out uh, toward us. And I don't even know how he got over the fence, to be honest. I'm not, oh, there was a gate there somewhere. I can't remember. I, I remember a few times balls went over, we'd all, man, I mean, sneak over the fence. Uh, you don't want the neighbors to see you, you know. So I, I remember there was some way to get over there. But uh, I remember just being terrified at that moment. My brother was too. Uh, and uh, we came tearing into the church right in that entrance there, down the hallway, <laughs> and then, uh, and then go, to my, go to the church office. Well, he followed us all the way in, right to the pastor's office. That was not a good moment. Um, <laughs> pastor was not happy with us, to say the least. Now, I'm speaking of not pastor's anger. He handled me right. I'm speaking of Clarence's anger. I remember also we were at, I was at a church member's home. It was my dad, my sister Elizabeth, and I. It was kind of an unusual combination of us. We're going over to this family that lived in Germantown, and they invited us. They had lots of kids, and at the time they only they ended up with nine or ten, but at the time I think they only had four or five. And they invited us over after church just to have some fellowship. So my dad went. Some I think some of my siblings were sick or something was going on. So we went over there, and some of the boys were were outside the house, and they decided that it'd be a really neat idea. They're on a highway, kind of a situation. It'd be a neat idea if they were throwing small rocks and stuff as cars that they came by. You know, he had the crab, crab apples and all everything just. Whatever, every time a car came by, you just threw it. Now, I wasn't part of that, but I will not say I didn't have any part in it. In other words, I didn't say no. I stood at the door and laughed. Uh, Watch. I kept my distance, you know. You know, the pastor's son, he's not doing it, but he's sure in par- a part of it, you know. And uh, sure enough, the first car comes by. There, there goes the rocks. You hear it hit. Car kind of slows down. Eh, what was that? And I keep going, right? So this happened several times, several times. Then finally, finally, they hit the right car. And, uh, you know, backs up right in the driveway. At that point, I'm terrified. I don't know what's going to happen. These boys take off. They go around the house, around the back. And I saw two angry people that day, the driver of the car and the dad. Fortunately, that was a weakness of the dad, and almost his entire family hates him today. And he's lost all, all but two of his kids. Uh, that's a tragedy. But the point is, I saw human anger, right? Isn't... You've maybe had an angry parent or two. Maybe you've had angry people in your life. That's pretty frightening, isn't it? Experience that. But any anger that mankind has not... By the way, I think in my lifetime, I have actually seen several times righteous anger from people who are walking with God. There was a moment of sin in somebody else's life, and there was a hatred not toward that person, but toward the sin and how it was destroying him. I, I've seen the pastor's eyes a few times where I know he wasn't in the flesh and he sure wasn't reacting to a person. And that's a sobering moment. Have you ever been around something like that? When you can sense there was an indignation towards sin and it wasn't personal? That is a, I, when, when God can work that in somebody, that's a pretty powerful moment. But we pretty much don't see that, though, do we? It's anger that's sinful because it's, it's, it's mixed with fleshly reaction motives, whatever. And so we see anger through that filter, but the Bible does say that God can be angry, doesn't it? The Bible says God's angry what, with the wicked every day, isn't he? And many times we think of anger as directed only from God only toward the wicked, toward the terribly sinful, and you know, God has to be angry with what is happening in our nation today. We recognize that. But... I also want you to think about it's a serious thing to make God angry, especially with a believer, considering how long-suffering he is toward us, isn't it? 
We know we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But I want to look at a passage of Scripture, which I hope will be a, a sobering reminder of, to you of the fact that even somebody who's in the presence of God and experiencing His light and His direction can make God angry. And it's something I think that actually happens by us a lot more than we realize. So I, I want to open that up to you today as God was really convicting me about it. And I think this may be actually where some of you are living right now. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. We're going to actually do, I'm going to do my best here to guard the time, but we're going to read a bit. Now, the danger of doing this is, isn't it wild that people are more interested in illustrations and what a guy says than actually the reading? You know, so you're checking it out. Okay, when will he get to the neat stuff? Well, this is the Word of God. So let's let the narrative here speak, okay? Because this is, this is a sermon that's very much totally built on the narrative here, uh, the, you know, this story. So I trust you'll, you'll follow along with, with me and actually allow the Lord to speak to you through His Word as I read it, and then we'll... We'll uh, open it up with, with the Lord's help. So we're going to look here at verse 1, but before we... Well, let me read verse 1. Now Moses kept the... Uh, chapter 3 of Exodus. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now, let's, before we read the rest of this, let's just remind ourselves of this. Most of you remember the flannel graphs. Or do, is that not even your time? I don't know. I just remember... Oh, man, so many... Those, those classrooms over there where they, you take a lot of lessons now, uh, that was where I would have, uh, man, just Mrs. Kunick, and you know, if you know who she is and other people, I mean, flannel graph after flannel graph growing up, you know, Moses and Abraham, they're all the same person, just different beards or whatever they put on them. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, you, yeah, yeah. So here's the point. Uh, Moses, at this point, how old is Moses by now? Does anybody know? 80. 80. Not a young man, is he? Okay. Chapter 2 talks about how he, as a 40-year-old young man who had been trained in the court of Pharaoh, he was a miracle boy. He was, God clearly had kept him for such a time as this. Okay, he shouldn't have been alive. God spared him, put him in the court of Pharaoh, so he was trained, and he had to be the top of his class. He was brilliant, and just with the sense you get, he was, he was cream of the crop. Then God put in his heart, if you want to look over at chapter 2, verse 11, when he was grown, he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens, and spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his, his brethren. So you find here, you remember in Hebrews how it talks about how he identified with his people? Okay, so at, at this moment, you find an importance. Forty years into his life, he's stepping out now, he's identifying with his people. Unfortunately, his way to handle it was wrong, wasn't it? Okay, I think there's a lot to admire about the fact that he stepped out of the court and, and identified with his people who were being oppressed. That's admirable, and I think that we should uh, be very much uh, impressed by that. But, unfortunately, he looks this way and that in verse 12, and he sees that there's no man. He slew, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, it's interesting. I, I was reading here on, from Wearsby, and he talks about how verse 12 indicates that he was walking by sight, not by faith. So God clearly stirred his heart to step out and to see the oppression. But he was clearly running ahead of the Lord in the way he acted, wasn't he? So what did God do or, allow, or cause to have to happen for Moses because of Moses' actions? Well, he kind of puts him on the backside of the desert for a while, doesn't he? Forty years of training, don't know a lot about it, but we do know that it changed Moses' spirit in many ways from what he was, that brash, I'm going to, nothing, you know, basically it's the idea of so somebody who's proud or who maybe is on the right path 
but it's all about themselves. There is no obstacle. Yeah, I'll take anything on, and there's not a humility. Well, God, clearly here, um, Moses's whatever the issue was there with him uh, was exposed. He uh, murders somebody, which is which isn't good. You can some people argue self-defense. Regardless, he slew a man. He hit him, and um, and so now he's in trouble. He runs off, and God gives him forty years of being out in the middle of nowhere. And what's he doing? He's a shepherd, isn't he? I mean, wait, he was just in the court of Pharaoh for 40 years now, or almost 40 years, and now he's, he's, he's a shepherd, just tending a flock. And here he's actually by Mount Sinai, even the Horeb here. And uh, at this moment, we find something amazing happen, verse 2 of chapter 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, a bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, and Moses said, here, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, and a large, into a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he, or God, said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. All right, let's pause here for a moment and look at the first point I'd like to show you this morning. And that is that I believe here that Moses actually does have an intentional pursuit of God at this moment. You say, how is that? God showed it first. Well, that's always the way it works. The Bible says God's the one that's working in us, right? But we have to have that intentional pursuit of him as he is showing himself to us. We have to turn. And I think it's so interesting how when he saw God's appearance there to him in the flame of fire, he looks and he beholds it, and he sees the miracle of the bush not being consumed. And then in verse 3 it says, Moses says this. It's interesting how God gives us this insight. He says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. I think it's a key moment here. Why is it a key moment? Look at verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called unto him in the, out of the midst of the bush. What if Moses had seen that and said, wow, that is really interesting, and then kept going on, right? No, he knew there was something very real about that, and he turned to see, and when God saw that he turned to see, God spoke to him. Let me ask you, you already have in your hands right now everything that you need from the Lord, every bit of direction that you need, all the life that you need, right, is found in here through the Spirit of God's working. How much are you turning aside to see? How much is the Lord seeing you intentionally turn aside to see? Now, this is something commendable. Moses does. All right? And, and it's interesting because at this moment, Moses is actually 
even though it's, it's not the end game for him, God is putting him through a journey. And at this moment, he's actually, when God shows up to him and he on purpose pursues what's happening, we find him on the backside of the desert, right? He's tending to his sheep. It's interesting. He wasn't just sitting around waiting, you know, hoping that God would do something. He was actually actively doing something. You find the shepherds that were on the hillside there when Jesus appears to them, or the angels, excuse me, when Jesus is born, when he, they appeared to him, he was, they were actively um, working. They were out there. They were employed. It's interesting. Matthew Henry talks about that. He says, Satan loves to find us idle. God is well pleased to find us employed. In other words, he was, he was actively doing what, at that point, I, what he thought he should be doing. And God was, was there and, and spoke to him. All right, so here he is. Here's Moses, a shepherd, backside of the desert, and God shows, shows up. And he, he himself makes the intentional step to pursue God. Now, we find, here not, we find here God's pursuit of Moses. God appeared to him. And then we find Moses' response. He turned, and then not only did he turn to see, but we find some, something else, his response. He says, here am I. And then God says, be careful now. Draw, don't draw, draw not, nigh, hither, nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from off thy feet. The place whereon thou standest is hold the ground. And God reveals who he is. I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. We find here a real reverence and an awe. You know, every time we come to God, there ought to be that sense of reverence and awe, right? So Moses here, this is, I'm not speaking of an active rebel. Now, Moses was in a journey. God has been putting him through it, and he was clearly in a very humble position. And as God shows up to him in that burning bush, Moses clearly turns there. He shows a real reverence for God and a, a healthy fear of God. Now, the second thing I'd like for us to see is the vision that God had for Moses. I think this is so important. God has, has a vision for him based upon a need. What was the need? Well, we find in, in the end of chapter 2, the need is expressed. God then says that God heard in verse 24, the groaning. He remembered the covenant that he had made. God is a covenant-keeping God. And then we find in verse 7 of chapter 3, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. And then he says in verse 9, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. So here, God's vision is, comes from the fact of God hearing the heart cry, the need, the groaning of his people. Let me just say this. God has a vision for each one of you, and he right now is hearing the heart cry, the need of those who are seeking him. And he's got a plan to use you to see those folks reached. No doubt about it. God has a will for you to be a part of deliverance. See, Moses was to go and do what? Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. But how was God going to deliver them? How was he? Through Moses, right? That was, that was the plan. So the vision that God had was based upon the concern he had for his own people, and his solution was to send Moses to deliver them from Pharaoh. Now notice here, he says in verse 10, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses says unto God, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, we can look at this and we know that ultimately, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, this ends in unbelief, which is tragic. But at this moment, I think Moses is, is wrestling with his, his place. He's like, okay, God, wherever you want me to go, I'm, I'm ready, it, with an arrogant spirit. 
He doesn't have that. He says, who am I, Lord? Now, think about it for a second. He really was qualified to go to Pharaoh, wasn't he? I mean, it's like he was, he was, he could have been the next one. He was right there. I mean, he was in the royal court, top of the class, right there in the royal family, adopted by, um, by the daughter of, of Pharaoh or the wife of Pharaoh. I can't, now I'm, all of a sudden, I'm forgetting. But the point is, he literally is at this moment where, where now he's um, uh, tragically, um, you know, he, he, not tragically, but he was, he's in a position where he's, he's thinking, well, I'm, I'm really not much of anything here, which is okay. It's okay, by the way, to be humble, isn't it? It, it, it? It's okay to realize that without me, you can do nothing. So there's no problem with this sense of who am I, Lord? I mean, really, wow, okay? But the issue is going to be what we see continue on. So Moses says, who am I that I should do that? I mean, think, Lord, do you want to use me? Look, look at me. I'm just a shepherd here. I'm by this mountain in the middle of nowhere in the backside of the desert, and you want me to do it? Okay. Well, then what does God say? He says in verse 12, I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Did God, by the way, fall through on that? Oh, yes. It's amazing. God's word is so true. But here he says, I think verse 12, the first part, what he promises to Joshua and so many others, he promises to you and me now, Matthew 28. He says, I will be with thee. Don't you think that would be enough, right? I mean, think about it. The God of the universe, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, says, I'm going to be with you, Moses. Oh, okay, God, that's, that's great. Let's do this together. Well, he wasn't there yet, was he? So verse 13, what does Moses say? He says, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto thee. Think about it. I am who I am is Jehovah, or it's the idea of I was, I am, I always will be. Our Lord Jesus added this name in the Gospel of John where we find the seven great I am statements. If God is I am, then he is always the same and his purposes will be fulfilled. God promised Moses that he would see to it that the work was done in spite of Pharaoh's opposition. So here God's saying, I am that I am. You can trust me. This is what you can say to them. I will accomplish what I said I will do. I am hath sent me unto you. I think about the power of I am. You remember... Uh, when Jesus himself was standing there about ready to be taken by chief priests and all their soldiers, hundreds there at the moment, right? And, Jesus, and they ask, you know, when Jesus, they're asking, are, are you he? And he says, I am. And they all fall over. Think about that moment, the power of Jesus at that moment. I am. The, just the power of that name. And they're down. But yeah, he surrendered at that moment, too. I, I was telling my kids, we're talking about what, what are some of our favorite Bible studies, and to me, that's one of my, or stories, that's one of my favorite. Just the power of Christ at that moment, yet the humility of Christ and the, the surrender to the Father's will. I mean, it's, I mean, look, how about if you said who your name was and everybody fell over, like hundreds, like the whole auditorium, just everybody fell over backwards. Okay, that, you, that'd be, that's pretty impressive, right? And then he still lets them take him and kill him. So, powerful name, I am. This is who God said I am. He, he was, I am that I am. Now, not only did God have this vision, but he gives him a commission, the commission of Moses. 
The commission here is based on God's previous words to Abraham. Just keep your finger here and look quickly over with me to Genesis 15. Remember, God speaking to Abraham here in this vision. And uh, in verse 13, he said to Abraham of chapter 15 of Genesis, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. Hmm. And they shall go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, and it came to pass, and so on. Then it says in verse 18, And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. And he talked about the extent of the promise, what God had given to Abraham. Now, God had already given a previous word, and so what he's saying to Moses is, all right, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I want you to say unto the children of Israel, verse 15, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, I'm in Exodus now, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. Isn't it interesting God keeps saying who he is to, to, to Moses? He keeps reiterating. By the way, the more you spend time with God and listen to him, the more he'll keep telling you who he is, who he is. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And then he says, go and gather the elders of Israel together. So he commissions him. He says, go. I've got something for you to do. Go. Okay? What's he to do? He's supposed to do two bold things. Bold to him, for sure. Number one, you show up there and you get all the leaders of Israel together and you tell them something. You think about that. Moses just shows up. You know, he's supposed to gather them all together. I mean, wouldn't that be a little intimidating? It would be me. Even though I'm more outgoing, I still think it would be very intimidating. But then he also says something else. Then he said, uh, they'll hearken to your voice. That's encouraging. And then he says, and then go to the king of Egypt and say, say to him, take him, take the elders of Israel, go to the king of Egypt and say unto him something. We'll see that in a minute. So get the elders together, tell them, what I said, go with them to Pharaoh and tell them that you, you guys need to leave. That's a pretty big commission, isn't it? So the vision that God had for Moses was now to use him in a powerful way, was to take him to be the savior, the deliverer, to keep to pull the people out of Egypt, to see them taken from Egypt to, his, his, to the promised land. And then, look, he gives the specific instructions. Okay, go gather them together and go tell Pharaoh to let them go. Now, he did say you're going to have some challenges. What are the challenges? He says, I, I have a scripture app on my phone, and I was listening to it uh, several times this morning while I was on my elliptical. I was listening to it again just to meditate on it. And uh, I love the way the voice says, um, and I'm sure that the king is it's, you know, representing God. I'm sure, verse 19, that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Okay, in other words, the whole idea is, no, he's not going to let you go. You, you, it's going to be a battle here. But what's God going to do? Verse 20, but I'm going to stretch out my hand and I'm going to smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them on your sons and upon your daughters and you shall spoil the Egyptians. All right, so God clearly tells them, tells Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you, and you need to go, and here's what you're going to do. This is based upon what I've already promised Abraham. We know this. So this is God coming through with what he said he was going to do, and he says, gather the elders together, 
uh, by the way, Moses, they're going to listen to you. Did you notice that in verse 18? They will hearken to your voice. I mean, isn't that assuring when God tells, tell, when he tells you, uh, you're, you're going to go give this message and they're going to listen to you. I mean, that's pretty good assurance, isn't it? They're going to listen to you and then what's going to happen is you're going to go to the king of Egypt. Now, it's not going to be the easiest thing. He's not just going to let you go, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to show a great deliverance. I mean, man, that's assuring stuff. And oh, by the way, when you leave, you're going to spoil them. You're going to walk out with a bunch of gold and silver. I mean, God's exactly telling them this. Again, a fulfillment of what he said he would do in the past. Now, I think this is where we go from any sense of Moses' humility and unworthiness to unbelief, right? What does he do in chapter 4, verse 1? Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. That's a tragic statement, isn't it? Look, I want to ask you guys a question. How many times has God clearly spoken to you in, in your time with him and you've actually taken time with him? Now, some of you still struggle with that. The reality, you may do the time, but you're not really meeting with God, and that's a whole other issue. But we're in the context here of a man who, who was, being, was in fellowship, direct communion with God, right? Okay, so God speaks to you, and he calls you even just that day. I'm not talking about even though you should have a beginning of vision for your life. But he calls you that day to do something impossible, even to believe him for focus. Some of you struggle with your school. You really do. And you don't believe you can actually succeed there. I'm going to tell you here in just a minute that God get, will give you the strength to do it. But you, you meet with God, but then you live the rest of the day as if you didn't because you don't believe that God's word really is true to help you with what he said he would help you with. You understand what I'm saying? See, because Moses was told, I, look, you're going to do something. Yeah, it's humanly impossible, but I'm going to deliver you. And it's going to be amazing. It won't be easy, but, man, I, I, I'm there, and I'm going to do some great things. He spells it out for Moses, doesn't he? But Moses said, they're not going to believe me. Wait! God just said they would. That's what's so sad to me here in this passage. Moses' sense of inadequacy, which is okay. You shouldn't be walking around like I'm God's greatest gift to BCM, to you know Milwaukee area, because you're not. But if you're always moping, and never believe in God, and when God speaks to you and he meets with you and he gives you courage for soul and he gives you courage for future steps and to believe him, and you just keep pulling back. That's tragic because God promises us he'll be with us. But what happens here? Well, God's anger now is seen toward Moses. And we'll see that actually specifically said here in verse 14. But what happens? Moses says another unbelieving statement. And isn't God still good to Moses? He gives him one more chance. He says, all right, throw, throw your rod down. So he throws down the rod. Turns into a snake. Now, do you think Moses had encountered serpents before? I'm thinking. You know, I mean, I've never lived in the desert. I remember going to the carpenter's house years ago in Arizona on Ensemble and almost the entire time freaked out that some snake was going to find me. You know, just you're out in the middle of the desert, literally. Their home is out in the middle of the desert in the Tucson area. I'm just... I'm just looking around for the rattlesnake because they're telling me, oh, yeah, we killed that one there. We cut its head off over there and this. I'm just like, oh, boy. So Moses was used to snakes, but this one got his attention, right? Put the rod down. That was God. He, he, he knew it. And, the, and then the hand, the, the leprosy, and then God uh, with, the, with the water to blood, the sign of that. And so God gives him three clear signs of the fact that he's with him. He, he's going to use him. And, uh, and so the Lord says, that if they don't believe these two signs, neither hearken thy voice, thou shalt shall take of the water of the river and pour it in the dry land. The water that thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And then Moses in verse 10 says, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, 
neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. It's amazing the excuses that we make. We say, God, you didn't make me with a very smart brain. Some, some of you literally have a very low view of your mental capacity. And, and you think, I cannot make it in school. I cannot achieve because I'm just not that smart. Or you have other excuses for why you can't make it. Now, look, some, some of you have had a difficult past, and you weren't maybe as challenged as much or developed, so you weren't made to speak in public settings. Or you weren't made to accomplish certain tasks. Or you weren't made to see things through. I want to remind you about what the Lord said to Moses. Look at verse 11. The Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Hey, Moses, I made you. I made your mouth. I told you to go speak. So if I told you to go speak, don't you think the one who made your mouth can open it up and use it as he will? The one who perfectly made you can use you with exactly what he's called you to, to do, exactly what he's called you to do. Don't sell God short. I look at my daughter, and we were going to the doctor um, or to get x-rays, and we're, there's some concerns about things. Actually, some of the tests have just come back this morning were encouraging, so just pray for wisdom for us, but little Emma. But um, I said, Emma, I just want you to know something. I said, God's made you perfectly, hasn't he? Because she was struggling. She was missing something special in school, you know, and she's having to go to the doctor a lot more than any of my other kids. And uh, there's just some, you know, it's hard. It's not easy. And she goes, Yes. And I said, you know, when God made you with that club foot of yours, he made you perfectly, didn't he? Yes. And we just walked through all the ways, the things that are, are you know, her challenges. And I said, you know what? God knows. And he's going to use you a special way. I think of her sweet little testimony on the video. Still, still, still. That was actually an unintended thing. I think it was somebody else. I think it was my son, Caleb, that was supposed to actually sing in the original, uh, the recording. And uh, he, got, he got the flu that morning. I mean, he was throwing up. He was in the recording. And so they said, well, just try voices. And Emma's just, you know, well, you heard it. It's pretty cute. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm biased. I, I would be great if any other kid had done it. But when I heard that, I was like, and I, I, it was already decided after I heard it. But I thought, that's a wonder. I, the, the first few times I heard I cried. Especially when I, when I picture my precious daughter and realize all she's been through. Um, and uh, but I told her, I said, Emma, you're going to have incredible, incredible, incredible ministry. Look, God made her perfectly. And God has made you perfectly. And even if Moses really wasn't that eloquent, and even if he felt inadequate, and even if he felt that he really wouldn't be that uh, able to speak to somebody like Pharaoh, which is kind of surprising because yeah, that's where he was 40 years before. But whatever the reason is for him to be insecure by his speech, the Lord reminds him, I have made your mouth. Now go, based upon that, and I will be with thy mouth, verse 12, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Is that, is, that's about as strong as you can get, isn't it? You know, there's some of you that have pushed against God. I don't know how many more times God's going to give you an opportunity to do exactly what his will was. His will, God's will was not Aaron. It's crazy how God works and how he still makes things happen. 
But Aaron was not, the, was not the will of God. Let me ask you this. Were the kings of Israel God's will? Were they? No. Now, again, I'm not, I don't get into the whole sovereignty issue and how God works. But think of how, many, how much suffering the children of Israel had because of earthly kings. And God said, I could be your ruler. In this case, Moses um, refused. Look at verse 13. He said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Look, it may not be this some big picture life vision yet, but it may be a day-to-day thing that you have been saying no to God about. I don't know what it would be. You don't believe God for it. You don't believe God can bring you through on some key areas of even school training. You don't believe God's big enough to help your attitude change and be used by him in whatever way. You're, you're struggling, and God keeps telling you, hey, I'm with you. You meet with him, and you get encouraged, but then you go out, and you have that issue with whatever it is, and you just can't seem to break through it. Let me tell you, it gets to a point when you actually start missing out on the purity of what God was planning for you, because that's what happened here to Moses. Did God still use Moses and in, 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 in Aaron to do what God had ultimately planned to do? Did he? And it's pretty amazing how Aaron is, you know, uh, is the high priest and so on. But I want you to think about something. Was Aaron always an incredible leader and companion for Moses? Became a thorn in Moses' side a few times. Um, several times. I think one of the moment there in Exodus 30 or 32, I mean, that's a bad moment. Thousands of people die. Another moment, Numbers 12, when the spies come back and Aaron unbelieving himself it speaks negative words so this decision here is costly look at verse 14 the anger of the lord was kindled against moses and he, and he said it's not aaron and so the lord gives him aaron here but let me just say this to have the anger of the lord kindled against you is a big deal it's a big deal it's a big deal here with moses and so we find here god keeps showing his hand and he keeps being gracious to moses and long suffering and yet you find Moses continuing to respond in unbelief and unbelief. Finally, God, God says, all right, you got Aaron. Isn't that tragic, though? Now, again, God still brought the children of Israel out, and it's easy to look at that and say, well, all worked out, right? But that wasn't what God had exactly for Moses. What does God have exactly for you and for me? Are we saying no to God in any way because we're insecure by ourselves and we don't believe God can use us? That's what I'm trying to say. Look, Moses was meeting with God. He, he was right there in the presence of God. God was speaking to him. I hope God's speaking to you. Uh, he's working in your life. He is speaking to you. But are you listening? And if you are, are you obeying? See, what we're saying to start this, the uh, service this morning, trust and obey, or trust to obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And I'm thankful for how much God used Moses' life. Incredible, incredible. And it shows you the mercy of God. Unbelievable. But this is not a small moment. And I think it's something that we, I don't want to overstate, but I think it's something you need to grapple with. When God says that he was, when it says in his word that he was angry with Moses, I think you need to ask God, is there any way in my life that you have actually, you're angry toward me or actually given me something secondary to what your will was? Because I've not trusted you. Is there anything at all like that? Let me encourage you to just to grapple with the Lord on that, if there, any, if, if there is any un- unbelief. In closing, let me just give you this. There are four questions that uh, uh, Warren Wearsby writes here. I, I appreciate some of the work, some of the things he has here on this and that, that Moses asked. The first one is, who am I? 
That's humility. That's verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3. And then he says, who is sending me? Okay, he wanted assurance. Who is going to be with him? But then he switches to, they won't believe me. He goes from, who's with me? Okay, Lord, you're with me. I'll, but they're not going to believe me. Unbelief. And then he says, says, I am not gifted. I think all of us here know that God's gifted us, right? You say, I don't know. You are gifted. You're part of his work. You are gifted in an amazing way to be used by him. Don't sell it short by unbelief. 